Hey, Rad Dads out there. We're back with episode 16. 16, yes, you got it right this time. All right, that's good. That's only four seven takes. Seven, seven, seven takes, seven. sorry, seven takes, Sal said. So today we're joined by Joe Conti, a real estate attorney, correct? Did I get that title right? That's correct. I'm proud of you. Oh, that's good. <laughs> See, it only took a couple times for me to get it right. So do you want to give us a little bit of background on yourself and how you kind of came into this profession? You really want me to talk about myself? Yeah, just for a little bit. That's why I fucking brought you here. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to try to make this exciting. Um, so I, I've been practicing real estate for about 20 years. I do residential commercial estate. Um, and uh, I, I love it. I, I buy real estate. My wife's a realtor. Um, and uh, it's like I live for it. It's an exciting thing. And I represent a lot of, uh, a lot of developers, a lot of investors, a lot of first-timers. So I pretty much have seen everything that could go right and everything that could go wrong with investments with buying your primary house. So we obviously don't want to know what goes right. We want the, we want the you juicy stuff. You want all the dirty stuff. Yeah, we okay, want the juicy bad stuff. stuff. All right, I got lots of that for you. And I'm going to protect the innocent. I'm not going to reveal any names. So how long have you been a real estate attorney? 20 years? 20 years, yeah. Okay. Shit, he looks like he's 25. Uh, I mean... When did you start when you were five? So... Why would someone need a real estate attorney? Um, well, you know, it, it's interesting because down in South Jersey, they don't use attorneys as much on like residential purchases. It's kind of weird. See, that's where it was because my wife and I were having a conversation. I said, I think Rob and I were talking about real estate attorneys and he just recently sold a property down in South Jersey. And I think he said that there was no attorney required or involved. It was just them and the, uh, the, the real estate agent. So the real estate agent down there earn their money. Uh -huh. essential. They, they do all the reviews. Now, I'm not saying like, <laughs> like you're not needed, but at least down there's a much bigger difference between the real estate agent down there than up here. You're right. You're right. I mean, um, down there, they take more of an active role. Uh, they get more involved. In fact, sometimes they, they negotiate additional terms to a contract, which it's like kind of borderline. Are they really supposed to be doing that? But they help facilitate the transaction, right? Um, I think up here where we are, there's just a lot more stuff going on. Um, and we're also in a very litigious area, unfortunately. So everybody wants to protect themselves. So it's kind of a divide where up here, uh, you do have almost on every transaction, you have an attorney. Uh, and to be honest, even down south, like I would always recommend having an attorney over things for you because laws are forever changing. Um, and, and a real estate agent, as they could be the best in a the state, they're not going to have uh, the ability to really uh, give you legal advice and that's the way of it, you know? Yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, I, I think I'm just cheap and I didn't want to pay for that <laughs> for a lawyer. Yes, he is. <laughs> so when I, when I bought the house, I'm pretty sure I had a lawyer over review everything essentially. Right. Uh, but when I sold it, the real estate agent, first of all, it took me 15 years to sell the property. Wow. Yeah. So we bought it 15 years ago. Sorry. And we sold it. I was trying to sell it for 10 years, essentially just renting it out as a rental property for a long time. Um, and when she was able, she she put it on the market. I had another real estate agent before try to put it on the market, couldn't sell it. She put it on, gone wow. in a month. And I was like, you're in my hands. And pretty much anything, the buyers came back. She's like, we'll take care of it. Like she pretty much facilitated everything. Anything that would be fixed, she did. So very different than up here. You're right. You're like crazy right. different. Yeah. Wow, that's nice. Yeah. She earned her money. And it's not like it was an expensive house either. So, two <laughs> percent? Yeah. No. I mean, I think she charged me six. Oh, okay, that's I'm pretty okay. sure. Yeah, that's okay. If you do, if you're doing all that kind of legwork. And listen, I was okay paying it, 
Because if she sold it, that's what I was looking for. She earned her money. She earned her money because it was it was a long time coming. I didn't really want to be bogged down at least with a rental property down there that I had to then manage, and I was never getting enough to cover the mortgage because I bought it when I was twenty three. So it, I didn't have a lot down when I when I bought it. So and my wife's been asking me to sell it forever because it was prior to her. Right. So when that gets into it, yeah. gentlemen, choice. Yeah. You kind of do what you're told. <laughs> it only took 10 years. <laughs> Live for me. Don't wait 10 years. <laughs> you're a good man. <laughs> so what? So I know most people go through a home purchase maybe once, twice, three times in their life. But what are like the do's and don'ts of residential and an investment property and even as far as business? Break it out for us. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go over business real quick. Uh, you know, business, the important thing is evaluation. Um, you know, whenever you look at a business, you want to buy something, um, you know, you want to go in there and see really what, what they're making. And, and unfortunately, some businesses, there's a lot of, there's a cash component to it. So you don't know really what they're reporting, if that's really what it is or not. So you really got to do your due diligence, have an accountant, look at the numbers, look at their payroll, uh, look at the, you know, the receipts each week. So that's important. Uh, the other thing with businesses too, a lot of times uh, you want to look at the lease agreement. A lot of times if they don't own the building, they might be leaving from a particular landlord and you want to see how much time is left on that lease. You might be in a great spot if you only have five years left. What happens if your landlord doesn't renew that lease for whatever reason? You kind of lost your customer base from that location and you're forced to ship and go someplace else. So looking at, at, at that, those things are important. Would it be out of line if you asked the guy if you can count the money in his mattress? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> you should be able to go home with him and see where he stashes the cash. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so that's what the business is. Um, your, your primary residential home, you know, I don't know if we'll get into this later, but, you know, uh, do's and don'ts. Uh, you know, obviously, um, you should definitely have a good realtor with you. They can give you a comparative market analysis in terms of how much the property is worth before you put an offer on it. I mean, right now the prices are out of control. Um, yeah. So, I mean, people are like waiving contingencies. They're overbidding on property. So you definitely want to know what the value of that home is before you start putting in an offer and know how high you'll go. It's a lot of bidding wars. So you want to know, hey, what's the maximum I'll actually go before this is just doesn't make you know financial sense. And, and just because you've been in the industry so long and in the area we live in, Sal and I has, have had this conversation how out of proportion do you feel the prices are at this point in terms of like let's say this part of bergen county yeah um i, I think the prices are definitely at, at a peak uh, you know um you have a lot of people because of the covid people coming in from uh, new york uh and to them this is still a bargain uh but they're overbidding on property value on prices and it's driving the prices higher and higher so i i think overall the, the prices in this area definitely i'll say maybe you know over the past year or two have jumped like 50, 20% in some areas. It's crazy. I know we went to look at, we were looking at houses yeah. right as COVID hit. And then we started as COVID and I was like, I can't buy a house that's a four bedroom, three bath. And just because it's updated, they want 625 on a like less than a quarter acre. I was like, that's absolutely absurd. Right. Like I've never seen anything like it. And I was like, you're never going to make your money back. You can buy it now, but there's, this is at a peak. Right. I don't see anything going up much further. And even some of the houses that are, are now being listed out, that new construction, people want like 700 in. Yeah. Well, there's a house around the corner from here. There's a house around the corner from here. They bought the property. There was a house on it. Knocked it down. Built a new one. 795 
I mean, that's crazy for, for, but that's great for me. It's good for you, absolutely. I mean, across the pond here in the daytime, a guy owns a property, um, he's owned the property for 15 years and finally decided to start developing it. Put in a cul-de-sac, so I think he's gonna build three homes. One is already up. I can only imagine it's it's gonna go for at least eight. Sure. Gorgeous house, and he's, gonna, he's building. Uh, it's, uh, I just feel the prices are out of control. Yeah. And I, I, when, you know, when we look, I just can't fathom paying that amount for where we live. Yeah, I, I agree. I, um, and, you know, you brought up a good point. You talked about, yeah, you're buy, buying at the peak and, and, and the price will never be worth. The house is not really not worth that price. And that segues into the investment property. So, you know, investment properties are tricky because, um, you know, there's two things you look at. One, you look at the overall income that it generates. So you want to generate positive cash flow each month. But on top of that, you're also looking at long term. Some people buy investment properties and they realize the appreciation over time. So if you're buying at the height of the market right now, let's say you buy investment property, let's say it's 750,000 and it's at the height. Now it's, 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 it's a cycle. So you know it's gonna probably go down eventually and maybe it drops down to 600,000 less. So if you're, if, it's, if you're gonna hold on to that property, you have to hold on to it until the cycle comes back up around to start to realize the appreciation uh, from what you purchased it. Uh, so that's what the investment properties, when we look at that, the do's and don'ts, not only do you want to look at um, what the, the cash flow is, your net operating income is on property, you also want to get an idea of, okay, where is this priced right now in relation to the market? And am I going to be able to realize that additional uh, profit from the appreciation? You know, so that's, that's something to take into account. So just my luck, I, I bought an investment property uh, 2005. 2005, I think 2005 was the height of the market. The height right before the, the countrywide uh, bust. Yeah, yes, so I buy a, a one-bedroom condo. And guess what happens the, the year after I buy the one-bedroom condo? Uh, the market takes a shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm stuck holding the bag. I, I looked at what the woman paid for the condo that I purchased from. I wanted to vomit. Uh, oh, dude, she, she made a killing. Same thing happened to me. That's why I held on to the property for 15 years. <laughs> I didn't lived in South Jersey for for ten years by the time we were able to sell it. I think a lot of people done. I did the same thing. I know friends of mine did the same thing. You bought right before that that real estate bubble meltdown and meltdown. Yeah, and um, and you know it is what it is. Either you take the loss, you sell it, and you just offset it on your taxes, or you just hold on to it and pray it comes. <laughs> and back. just pray it comes back quick enough before you die. That airspace, look at that. Um, well, you, I, you leaned in. I, you're yeah, trying to no, whisper no, in my no, ear? What's yes, going on here? Whisper sweet nothings. Why are you kicking me under the table? <laughs> He's playing footsie. It's number four if you're, if you're, looking, if you're following at home. Uh, yes, number four. So what is the most common error amongst new home buyers uh, that new, you see? Yeah, new home buyers. I mean, one of the things I see sometimes buyers do, they come in and you know, they want to buy the, the biggest house in the town and, and, you know, they put all they got into the house. Um, and that's a little suicidal um, because you're not budgeting for repairs um, and, and things like that. And you're not budgeting, you don't have a safety blanket. Like I've seen it where people come in and they buy these big homes and they take a mortgage. Uh, they put in all their savings in. Um, then you got to buy furniture. Um, you know, you got you to gotta, you gotta do this. And some of these homes, are there's some big homes around here. I mean, we're talking, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars to furnish the house. Yep. And, um, and then let's say you lose your job or let's say COVID hits, let's say something happens and you don't have a security blanket. Um, you know, that mortgage payment is due each month. Um, and, and so a lot of times I see people, you know, the traditional way they put down 20% or try to put down more. Sometimes it's smart to even put down five or 10% and have some savings just in case something happens. Like you take an example, you can have 
two people buying the same property, let's say they're buying a $500,000 property, you know, guy A puts down, let's say 250,000, so his mortgage is a lot less, but he didn't save too much in the bank. Now, if something happens to him, he's gonna have a problem. He won't be able to refinance, he might go into foreclosure, but guy B, if he only puts down, let's say 100,000, has like 150,000 in reserve, if he loses a job or gets sick or something happens, he has something to draw to, you know, to help him out. Um, so, so I think that's one of the mistakes. I think people just, you know, you overspend, you see you, your eyes go there. It's like when you go to a restaurant, you order like, you know, 15 things and like, oh man, after five, you're full, you can't eat anymore. So you, you kind of want to stay within your budget. You know, that's, that's important. And what, how do you dictate what your budget is? So how do you, what do you advise your clients? You know, it's hard. I usually, what I tell people is to talk to their lender um, and they'll, they'll, they're usually pretty good. They have some safeguards in place and they tell them, Hey, this is what you can afford this weekend. You have pre-approved for uh, but then some people try to push the envelope, you know, like, well, I could get a gift from my parents. Um, you know, I could get a gift, gift. from this person, get from that person. Um, so, um, you know, at the end of the month, if, 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 if you're, if you're pay spending way too much on your mortgage and, and you're just every month, you're like, you can't live life. I mean, that, that's not fun. You know? Now, do you, are you aware of what the rule is for mortgage versus, uh, your take home? Do you know what, like. Oh, the percentage? Yeah, do you know? I, I don't know specifically. All what right. that, yeah, yeah. I forget what it is, but it really shouldn't be. I, I believe it's th more than 30% of what you bring home should be your mortgage. Right. Because then you have, what, 10, 20% on fixed expense, and then 50% is whatever savings and variable expense. Right. So just I, the reason I'm saying is because one of the things that's really a pet peeve for me, just in general, and I'm not a financial advisor, is people's the inability to understand I bring home x amount i can't spend more than x amount why not people don't understand that and that's what well, credit cards these fun. days it's out of control and i see it all the time and even just and listen i'm i'm not so educated on how to invest mutual funds all that stuff but i know simple mathematics <laughs> x plus y cannot exceed z like it's like it just doesn't make sense so i i one of the things I, you know, and, and I'll put it into liner notes is what should be that true percentage of, of bring home that you can de dedicate to your mortgage? Because I think it's important. Right. And when I say mortgage, I mean mortgage payment, which can include your taxes depending on how you tackle them. Right. That makes sense. And something I, my wife and I just recently did um, is we refinanced, but the request when we refinance is we pay our own taxes and insurance. And I can't tell you the amount of money that we've been able to save because we did it before where the mortgage company pays pays the taxes right. and insurance. And of course, the bank wants fluff. You know, they want enough padding in there just in case, sure. you know, taxes increase or your insurance increases. So once a year, we get a letter, your 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 rate, you're not the rate's going up, but our draw is going up an extra 300 bucks because your taxes went up. He's smacking her ass again. You hear that? Twice. He did one for each cheek. <laughs> and I think your mic is bigger than mine. Or is mine bigger? Oh, I was. <laughs> Are you jealous? <laughs> Joe's got mic envy. <laughs> he likes my mic. <laughs> so, I mean, we've, we consist, it's an automatic draw for our mortgage biweekly. X goes towards uh, a certain account and it's taxes and mortgage included. Right. And the amount of money that I've seen that we've saved just on that alone it's tremendous. No, it's great. And what the, I mean, the bank takes your money and they do whatever the hell they want with it. But so if you're listening, 
Maybe that could be a dad lesson. Yeah. When you refinance, ask them to pay, uh, ask them that you tell them you want to pay your own uh, taxes and insurance. There you go. But you got to be diligent. You got, you know, you can't just say, yeah, yeah, I'll pay. You got to save. So here's discipline. Yeah. Yeah, So here's my take on that. Right. And this is the same argument people have about the 529 about not setting money aside for your kids. If you're planning on, if you're planning on paying your taxes on an annual basis, or if you're planning on paying for your kid's education, you have to be very diligent to put that money aside, put it into some investment um, instrument to ensure that it's gaining an appropriate rate of return. Most people don't have that control. Most people put that money aside and then end up spending it, and that's when you end up getting into trouble. See, the old Italians, they got the uh, the bank, the mat- mattress, the mattress bank, <laughs> where you gain no interest. <laughs> you got liquid on hand every... At any any moment of the day. <laughs> Where's your bedroom, by the way? <laughs> you don't have to worry about my mattress. <laughs> I'm sleeping on the floor. Or the couch. <laughs> so is there anything from like a, a new home buyer or, or business buyer that they should avoid that they wouldn't know just, just going through the process? You know, new home buyers, uh, you know, I think a lot of times people go see a home a realtor takes them, they fall in love with the house, they put an offer, they buy it, and they do a home inspection, which is very important. Um, but there's also a lot of things that um, I don't think you really think about until you, you've bought a few different homes. Like if you bought a whole house, you know what you look for in the home, you sell it, you buy a sec- another home. Um, like one of the things I realize, sometimes people buy properties and after they move in, they realize it's like a main thoroughfare to get to like Route 208 or, you know, you hear planes flying above you the whole time uh, or you have really noisy neighbors. So you almost have to like kind of go to the property like at odd hours, like go at night, drive by, see if you hear a train, see if you see planes flying up across or see if you see somebody puts it in Waze or one of those apps and like it's kind of a, a thoroughfare from one spot to another and all of a sudden you see tons of cars coming down your sheet. Um, so if, when you go look at a property, it looks great, but sometimes you got to go at different hours and see what's going on. You know, that's, that's a lot of things that people don't look at. Because after you move in and you buy it, it's too late. Yeah, you're, you're screwed. See, this is our second house, my wife and I. And uh, one thing we did was we, we came here during different hours. Rainy days. I wanted to see if there was ponding in the driveway or on the, on the property. Um, I wanted to see if there was, a main, like you said, a main thoroughfare for cars. But it, it's, it's a quiet street. The, the last street we lived on was a main thoroughfare to a highway. Mm-hmm. And it, we were at the bottom of the hill. So people would come down the hill like Speed Racer. Right. And, and we have a stop sign. Some people didn't stop. So, but yeah, that, that's, um, that, that's, I know the people are anxious to buy their first home and they want to fall in love with it. They don't want to, they don't want to see negative parts to what they're moving into. They right. want to, you know, turn a blind eye to it, especially if, especially if the wife loves it, you know, you don't want to tell her, Hey, look, this is why we shouldn't be moving here. Right. Because true. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> or happy spouse, happy house. Words of wisdom. <laughs> we got them all today. I love it. Um, so, yeah, that's with primaries. And in terms of like, um, you know, uh, a business or let's say investment property. Um, and, and this is kind of a boring topic. I won't get too much into it. But a lot of times you have these investors and they look at these properties. It might be like a six unit uh, on a very small lot, a 2,500 lot with six units. You'll find this in like, let's say Patterson or some of these older municipalities. Now, if that house ever burns down, all right, chances are you might not be able to put six units back on that property your grandfather in 
and zoning laws have changed tremendously over the years. So that's something that most investors don't look at. Say, oh my God, it's a six family unit. But nobody really thinks about zoning and it's so critical in terms of what you could do in the future if you can expand or if your house burns down, what you can do thereafter. And it, you're not guaranteed that you'll be able to put the same thing up. So, so that's all, something that, you know. Although you're grandfathered in with the current building, if zoning laws change and you're somehow natural disaster, building goes away, you have to abide by by the current zoning laws. That's correct. Oh my God! Wow, yeah. so I never knew that. That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I know that's a boring topic, but no, for, that's, for like that's, investors that sure. get more sophisticated, I think that's a critical thing. So let me, is that something that you advise your clients on, or is it something? You know what I do when I when when I have a client that's buying an investment property, even though a primary residence, I always go on Google Maps and I do an aerial view. I kind of like to see what's around it. I like to see if there's a shared driveway. I like to look at all that stuff. And that's something I definitely look at. Sometimes you'll find properties that have a property behind the property. It's like a two for one deal. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of tell the client, look, if something happens, you're probably not going to be able to rebuild a family that's behind like the two family, let's say. And there's properties that are like that. So I always kind of tell them that because it's important. Nobody thinks about that. No, you're right. But you could be the one guy that buys it and it burns down. And now instead of having <laughs> a six unit, you can only put a two family. And that really screws up your your. Uh, Passive income. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's because you, you paid for a six unit, and you now you're you bargaining for a six yeah. unit, right? And now you're only getting a two two unit income. But listen, that rarely happens, <laughs> but it's it's something to to keep in mind. So yeah. wait, you get a better chance of getting struck by lightning? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> While Sal and I have both bought properties, and we're we're well aware of what documents that are required to sign, or we know what to sign when the attorney and and the real estate agent gives it to us. But what should a, a new buyer really be expecting? Well, it, it, during the closing process or like from the beginning, let's say. I would say during the closing process. Yeah. So, you know, at the time of closing, a lot of times what you're going to sign is the same stuff that your bank gave you prior to it. They send you a lot of disclosure, like 100 pages of stuff. Like they disclose the interest rate and they have all these other documents in there that your mortgage. Um, so at the time of closing, you're going to re-sign a lot of those documents, a promissory note, a mortgage a few other documents, whether or not you're, they're going to escrow for taxes and insurance. You know, you re-sign your application. So it's a lot of repetitive stuff that you re-sign again at closing. You know which document I love? Which one is, is that? Is when, when, when they do a background search mm -hmm. and they get like five different people with my name. Oh. I, it's interesting. Some of the shit with people with my name do. I heard you're a kingpin somewhere. <laughs> Shh, damn it. You're blowing up my shit. <laughs> But no, there was a there was a guy. I think there was a warrant out for his arrest. Um, one guy was bankrupt, had my my name, but so I think the last four to social security uh, didn't match. So. Okay, that's good. So I had to check the box. No, it's no. not me. You have an evil twin somewhere. <laughs> it's hard to follow. That's hard to follow. So <laughs> tough act to follow. <laughs> so can you explain? So this is actually interesting, because if people don't know this, it's really it would be surprising to me, but. I guess at this point, nothing should be surprising. Right. Especially when people lease cars and they don't really go into this. But can you explain what a title is? Yeah, so so title or title search, um, you know, normally anytime you buy a property, we're going to order title searches. We want to make sure that there's no liens or judgments against the property or against the owner or against the prior owner. So we want to make sure that when you get your deed, it's free and clear. You have nothing to worry about. Um and also, when we do that, we also order a survey, and that's very important too, um, because you want to see where the boundary lines of the property. You want to see if there's any easements. You know, easement basically 
allow somebody to go over your property and use it without your consent. So there could be an easement, there could be a utility easement sometimes. Sometimes the shared driveways, that's a lot of fun. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, if there's a tree right on the property line. So it's kind of good to get the survey too to make sure that there's no issues. So. Establishing the boundaries is key. So you can you can tell if the neighbor was screwing the, the homeowner that, that the property owner. Are we still talking about yeah, buying yeah, yeah, a property? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can see if, the, if, the, if, the, if, if you're going to go through with the purchase of the house, the new neighbor, you can see if he's encroaching on your property or not. Uh, He's using uh, these words as he's getting closer to that mic. I know. (laughs) (laughs) You guys ready for another pour? Yes. All right. So next question that that we laid out here is, should new buyers ever forego a home inspection? I'm going to say no, like 10 times. (laughs) And and you have investors that come in, oh, as is, as is. Um, I don't think anything ever should be as is. one of the main things, especially in older parts of the area in New Jersey, there's a lot of underground oil tanks. That's a huge problem. That could be a $5,000 thing. It could be, I've seen $300,000. You know, so always do a tank sweep. It's like a $200 check. They come with a big metal detector. You want to make sure there's no underground oil tank. That's a must. General home inspection is worth it because they come in and they, 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 you know, they'll catch stuff that you probably don't see. And now a big thing a lot of people are doing, they're even doing uh, the sewer scope where they come in it's like another 200 bucks they open up the main sewer line and they put in a camera to make sure that the line didn't fall apart um it happened to me where i where my office is in garfield i had uh, built a building the building and then a year after uh everything backed up there's shit all over the place <laughs> literally <laughs> literally <laughs> shit everywhere i was on vacation oh it was the best wonderful so <laughs> i didn't do it i didn't think about it um and of course we had to open up the street had to, you know it's, it's an expensive job so a lot of these older towns have these cast iron pipes oh clay and, pipes oh clay pipes yeah. too yeah and over time so definitely that's a thing too that that people are starting to do now so i would never i i would always do i got a story about the the oil tank sweep when i sold my my previous house so we for the life of us, we couldn't remember where the oil tank was. And I, I know the previous homeowners told us where it was. So we, my wife actually did a Facebook search, found the woman, and got in touch with the woman. Turns out the, the oil tank was, was mounted in the basement on the floor. So it wasn't on the ground. So they had someone come do a sweep anyway. We told them, hey, this is what they told us. This is where it was. And they kept getting something, one spot on my patio. And I had pavers. So they said there's something here they're picking it up with a metal detector i said okay they wanted us to pay for the dig now i have pavers i said oh we ain't paying i said uh you can dig we're not paying okay then we won't buy the house i said okay a couple days later okay we'll dig i said look i have pavers those pavers they gotta come out and go back the same way who's gonna do that oh i don't know i said well not me I said, I can give you the guy who did my pavers. I want him to put the pavers back. So being in the industry that I'm in, so I, I, I sent them a letter. I said, who's excavating? What type, of, what type of machinery are they using? How deep are they going? Are they going to need to bring in, uh, 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 they need to import any fill. If there's any fill coming into, they got to import fill. I want it certified, tested. I want to make sure it's clean. No, no contamination. And when you backfill, it's got to be in six inch lifts. And they got to use a, a jumping jack to compact it. Oh, is what I got. <laughs> so, hey, they complied. 
Yeah. They, they, the guy, they had, they brought in some topsoil. They needed to bring in some topsoil. They dug, they dug, they dug. They went four feet. The, the, the future uh, uh, homeowner was there. And he's like, look, I'm four feet. I keep getting something with my metal detector, but nothing's here. She goes, do you want me to keep digging? I said, huh? You look at her. She's paying. She's footing the bill. I don't care. You can dig to China you can, as long as it goes back, right? So she's like, no, no, no. Just, just fill it in. That's a four thousand dollar job. Wow. I told them nothing's there, and I ain't paying for it. But they didn't find anything. Nothing. Wow. The no. guys. I, I don't know if they went after the guy who did the sweep. Maybe he had defective uh, uh, wand. You know. Yeah. <laughs> His wand was defective. Yeah, he had a defective wand. That's another, you, that's another you, episode. Why do you always got to go there? <laughs> You're the one saying it tonight. Episode 17, <laughs> the defective wand. What inspections would you... So you already kind of covered that. What inspections would you recommend to new buyers? Actually, two of them I didn't even realize. Like, I didn't realize you had to do or you should do an oil tank sweep. Yeah, I, I think that's <clears throat> very important interesting and sometimes you can even find a buried septic tank you could find who knows what you could find sometimes they buried like pools there was an in-ground pool maybe 30 years ago and the contractor came and just came and filled it's it. kind of good to know what's what's under there you know bodies you never know you don't want to know about those <laughs> jimmy hoffa maybe you still haven't found him you gotta keep digging is there any do you feel like there's any document that a new buyer kind of overlooks as not important, either um, in the preliminary process or the closing process. I think one of the things they, they don't really pay attention to is the seller's disclosure. Now, it's not required that a seller does this, but normally if a seller lists a property for sale, the realtor will give them a disclosure. It's a few pages. And it kind of goes through, hey, you know, how old are your utilities? How old is the hot water tank? Uh, how old is the roof? Things like that. A lot of times they don't pay attention to that. Um, again, you can't rely on that to your detriment. I mean, you still should do your due diligence, do your inspections. Um, so I think a lot of people like kind of overlook that. The other thing I think people overlook and don't do is they make they don't make an open request. So you can make an open public records act request to the building department and say, hey, give me a history of all the permits that were taken out on this property. That's very important because if you go into the house and there's a brand new kitchen, brand new bathroom, brand new electric panel, and you get that open request and there's no permits for that kitchen or that panel, <laughs> now you know that that really wasn't inspected by the building department, the subcode officials, and you gotta be you know, wary of that. You know, Was this done the right way? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but you never know. So let me ask you, if that comes back and you don't have those inspections, mm -hmm. would your inspector pick up that? Like, what, will they realize like something's not up to code or no? You know, um, an inspector will see certain things. Like, if you look at the electric panel, usually there's a sticker on that that says approved. Hot water tank, a boiler might have something on it. Um, but he won't know the age of the kitchen. Like, he could probably tell, hey, it was upgraded. Uh, but he won't know if it was upgraded, you know, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 2 months ago. Um, so he could just go through anything. And they don't do an open request or check the town. A good inspector will tell his buyer, hey... You may want to just double check and see if any permits are pulled. You know, so that's something that, and 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 really, that's how it's done. Anybody could do it; it's for free. When you're going to buy a house in a particular municipality, a lot of it's online. You can request it yourself, and they have to give it to you. Going back to that building inspector, a lot of people uh, think that filing a permit for the town to do the work in your house, or when you're having a contract to do the work, it's a pain in the butt. The building inspector is actually there to protect the homeowner. A lot of people see it as a nuisance and, oh, my God, they want to charge me this. So they want to they want to you know, increase my taxes. 
it's actually to protect the homeowner. They want to make sure that the homeowner is getting what the contractor is is promising. And they want to make sure that the homeowner is not getting cheated by the contractor and making sure they're getting quality work. Uh, I've heard horror stories where, uh, you know, people hire a contractor on the side and this guy's a shoemaker. This guy shouldn't even be, you know, this guy should never touch a hammer. Building inspectors are, are there to protect the homeowner, not, not to be a nuisance. That was my uh, PSA. Wow, that was really uh, good. That's nice. <laughs> that was very nice. The inspector in town will, will thank you later. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so what's a common mistake you see when someone's purchasing a home? Um, I, I, I think just, I could sum it up as just not doing their due diligence. Um, you know, again, making that open request, doing inspections, uh, that's really important. Uh, sometimes people don't do certain inspections. And, you know, if there's a pool, that's a separate inspection. If there's a septic tank, that's a separate inspection. You know, you don't want to go overboard, but that, that's, I think, the biggest thing. They get emotionally connected and kind of force the issue. I see it all the time. I see inspection reports and people are like, I look at it and, and I tell them right away, look, there's a lot of things wrong with this house. There could be a structural problem, water seepage issues, but they fall in love with it and they go on with it and they buy it. Um, so I, I think that's probably the most dangerous mistake is if you're emotionally attached to that property before you actually buy it and you just kind of, nothing's going to step in your way, you want it. Um, but you got to be, you got to separate that emotion out of it. You know? that, that's hard to explain to a woman. Because, you know, if you, you're house hunting with <laughs> wow, your wife. Oh, boy. Wait. Well, if you're house hunting with your wife. You're right. And, and, and your wife or your, your significant other or your partner or whomever, you know, falls in love with a particular property, they get emotionally attached and they don't care. I but, want it. But, yeah. but why are you only saying that's, that's a woman? Well, I mean, that's that's you I, get emotionally I'm sorry. attached too to things. I, I corrected myself. So your your significant <laughs> other, your partner, or whomever, start, whoever gets start emotionally digging out of that yeah. hole, pal. <laughs> whoever gets emotionally attached to the pro- the property. We need to send you to diversity training. I completed it last <laughs> night. I guess I guess I failed. <laughs> Today was my first test. <laughs> sorry, guys. I, I, I know what you're saying because we so we put a bid on a house and we bid full price and. Over the summer, and we, we really loved the house, but we knew it had to be upgraded. We didn't even get to the inspection. They wouldn't accept our offer until, so we hadn't listed our house because we didn't want to list our house, sell it, and then have to find a house. Right. Someone or somebody else. Like that, you're rushing to find that a house. pressure. Yeah. So we were trying to play both sides, which doesn't really work well when the market's as hot as it is right now. Right. But their big thing was, we committed. We said, hey, we have a contingency until the end of August, blah, blah, blah. They said, no, you have to put it up and sell it within a week. I'm like, there's no way. Right. Like, like, we had already, like, as soon as we put it in, my wife started packing. We were ready to go. And we're like, there's no guarantee we could sell it within a week. Right. Yeah, so, I, think, I think our first podcast was on a milk crate and a cardboard box. Yeah, because my wife <laughs> packed everything up. She was like, I don't know. Like, and we were all about it. But then, like, we started getting turned off. We were like, well... If this is how you're going to act, and this is, then we didn't even go through the inspection yet. God knows what's going to turn up with the inspection. And it wasn't updated. It was all outdated. So we knew we were going to have to put in another, like, hundred grand into it, at least. Right. We are like, pull the plug. Let's just stay. Like, smart. We, we put work into our house. So we had already, and we were like, there's things we want, but we need an extension. So it's like we're weighing the two. Right. So let, let me ask you, I'll, I'll go off on that. Is there... From your perspective that you see, is there an advantage of going expansion versus buying? Do, what do you advise your clients if you if you inv- get involved in? You know, I, I think right now, um, depending on, on, you know, a lot of people do additions. 
I think it makes sense to, it depends what you want to do. If your family's growing, you need like one room, but I guess to a certain extent, because then it gets out of hand. Like if, if at some point in time, you do like a cost benefit analysis, being gonna cost you $300,000 to do this. Um, you know, you're probably never going to realize. Hell, are you excited over there or what? <laughs> Listen, what I do on my side of the plexiglass is my business. Don't worry about it. You just continue with the conversation. <laughs> I think it's hard. There, in some of these areas, right, especially right now, there's not a lot of inventory. So you're kind of limited in terms of what's out there. So you're going to be forcing yourself into something. So either I would say it, it, I would wait until the spring, more inventory comes up. And if something comes up, it's the right price and it's a match, then you do it. But... Um, you know, location's key. If you can't, if you're comfortable where you are and you know you can do an addition within reason and you don't go crazy, sometimes it's just easier to just stay at home and do it, you know? My wife's going to like that little bit right there. Yeah? Yeah, yeah I think there. so. Well, you tell her, make sure you got to listen yeah, to this episode. Yeah, got to listen to this episode. <laughs> I think a minute, like 35 or whatever we're at. So is there any nuggets that you can give uh, any new home buyers or, or investment business buyers, business buyers any, anyone looking to do an investment or... Um, so, uh, you know, if you're a home buyer, if you're an investor, I think one of the, the most important things is having a good real estate agent. That's so key. I've dealt with, I don't know, maybe hundreds and hundreds of different agents. Um, some agents sometimes put their interests out of yours sometimes. Pushy. They're a little too pushy. Yeah. Um, you know, so you got to just be careful of that. I'm not saying they're not good agents. Sometimes you need a pushy agent to some extent, uh, because then sometimes you need that reassurance, but there's a certain comfort level. Uh, and I've seen it a few times where people will go in, they sign a contract, they get to attorney review, they call me up and they say, I really don't want that house. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm thinking, wait a minute, you just signed this like two hours ago or, you know, like last night, oh, we really don't like it. So that's it. And it, that's showing me that the agent kind of strong armed a little bit. You know, it's like, just sign it, sign it. Don't worry about it. So getting a good agent that's on your same wavelength is important when you're buying your house where you want to live in. In terms of investment, you kind of want an agent that probably has their own investment property that knows what it's like. It knows what it's like when a tenant calls you at 2 a.m. that the heat's not working or something like that. I mean, I've been to a whole bunch of seminars. I've seen people speak. I've seen people make a lot of money. People lose a lot of money. But some of these seminars, you see people talk, and I could tell right away that they've never no. owned an investment property. <laughs> and I feel bad because they're giving me advice, and they're taking people around and telling me, oh, it's a great investment. They I got realtors no call me all the time. Joe, I got a great investment off market. I go look at it and look at the numbers. I said, that's horrible. <laughs> but I don't have the heart to tell them. I'm like, you know what? It's just not for me because I feel bad. Sure. But but you really need a good agent that really understands the numbers, especially if it's an, if you're going to buy for investment. It has to make financial sense. So that's 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 the nugget, the big nugget. That's a, that's a great that's great advice. The golden nugget. So one one question around the investment piece. Now, so for your residential, you typically put 20% down, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, that's traditional. But, you know, today there's so many programs. You have FHA buyers. Only 3.5% yep. is required. Um, again, your mortgage will be a little higher. Um, you're going to have PMI, private mortgage insurance, which honestly, you got to be careful because that might be another three four $400 a month. Yep. Um, I've which, been through that. Yeah. And, and, and some loans now, it continues throughout the life of the loan. It doesn't end when you get 20% equity. So, you know, 3.5%. I'm not too crazy about it, but sometimes it helps people achieve the American dream. Hey, I could buy a house with just three and a half percent down. Yeah, I'm cheap as fuck. That ain't happening. <laughs> That's all right. But so my question is, yeah, for an investment property, what is the percentage you would advise? Okay, normally uh, on investment properties, you have to probably come up to about twenty percent. If you're going a traditional, if you're going to get a conventional loan and you're buying, let's say, multiples, let's say, uh, 
a three uh, a three family dwelling or mixed use as commercial in like three or four units, most commercial banks are going to require 20%, whether you go to a Columbia bank, uh, whatever it is. But there's a lot of other types of financing out there. I guess I'll say unconventional or they call it hard money or private lending. <laughs> Um, a lot of those guys, they you can get away with maybe putting five or ten percent. You'll be surprised, and sometimes they give you rehab money. But again, that's good to get your foot in the door. But you're also going to be paying a higher rate, and you also are going to be points. Whereas if you're buying an investment property, you go to a conventional bank, you go to Columbia Bank or a regular lender, you'll put twenty percent down. You might pay maybe one point and an amazing rate. So investment properties normally you have to come up with the twenty percent. Okay. Yeah. Good. I think this is where we uh, now, now we're going to buy something. right? Yes, we're going to buy something. Right. You got your 20 <laughs> percent. Is that what the duffel bag's for? Yeah. <laughs> so this is where we're going to break. We're going to stop. We are going to do a bourbon review. Joe, you're going to take part tonight. I'm going to follow your lead. You let us know what you think. Right. Uh, we want to thank you for bringing the, donating the bottle. It mm -hmm. is fantastic. We're not going to tell you what it is until we come back. And uh, as promised, we are going to talk about the bourbon that we tasted. Bourbon that we tasted is Blood Oath Pack Number Three. It is a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey finished in a Cabernet Sauvignon barrels. Uh, distillery is it's bottled in River City Distilled Products. The interesting story about this is uh, the creator attests the creator attests that every batch of Blood Oath is un is the undertaking of one man, a student of both bourbon and science, loyal to no one family, favoring no one distillery, and bound by no one philosophy. This bourbon concierge has one goal in mind, to seek out bourbons rare and wonderful, famous and forgotten, then bottle them in a combination in combinations previously unimagined for a lucky few. Not to cater to anyone's loyalties, he has sworn to never reveal where he finds his bourbons. I, I find that very interesting. But only to promise to choose one make, but only to promise to choose and make the best he knows. <laughs> That's going to get edited out. <laughs> yeah, that diversity training came real key <laughs> Loose lips never tasted something so special. And Loose Lips never <laughs> fucked up a bourbon review <laughs> till tonight. <laughs> this is a blend. Uh, this is this is interesting. Listen, listen to this. If you tuned me out before, tune back in. This is a blend of a spirited seven-year-old bourbon finished in Cabernet Sauvignon casks from one California, from California, not one California, from California. Uh, and an incredibly smooth blend of 7- and 12-year-old bourbons that provide a unique base that works very well with the now-signature wine finish trend. So it is a um, very interesting history for the uh, Blood Oath Pact. It proof is 98.6, which is 49.3 alcohol by volume. Uh, uh, age, blend of a 7-year and a 12-year-old bourbon. Batch size, we don't know. Mash bill, we don't know. Awards, didn't see any. Color is dark amber. Price point, $99 to $109. Nose and aroma, I get the caramel and vanilla. Tasting notes, the, the bourbon we are tasting is neat. Uh, slight burn, full flavored. Uh, I, get, I get the vanilla in the, I get vanilla and caramel. Uh, finish, complex finish, lingering burn. Overall, surprisingly smooth given its proof and the blend of three whiskeys. I, I, I was 
I'm um, delightfully uh, pleased by the finish in the uh, Cabernet Sauvignon barrels. So it's a very nice finish. Rob, would you like to give your review, Rob? I think we should turn it over to the guest first. Uh, sure. Joe, go ahead. Well, I was going to defer to you guys. <laughs> um, you know, I'm pleasantly surprised, too. Um, being that's a blend, um, I'm not too crazy about blends, but um, I didn't even know that this was a blend reading up on it. But it's, I think it's, it's very smooth. Um, I, I, do, I do smell like that caramel. Like, I'm not a sophisticated you know, connoisseur, but um, I think it's very smooth. I love the story. I love what this guy does. All right. Do you want to give your uh, barrel, barrel? Ra- r- ranking? Well, or do you want to wait till, till Rob uh, Rob's done? I think since you guys have been doing this, right? You've been doing it, so I'm going to let you guys go first. All right. Go ahead, All right. Rob. So, did you, in the aroma, did you say is there any vanilla or is it just yeah, caramel? Yeah, vanilla. Vanilla. All right. So I smell the vanilla and I and I smell the caramel. It is. It has a little bit of a burn. But it's not a bad burn. It's actually overall pretty smooth in my mind. I, that's what I think. And as Sal said, and he typically sells it, says it like five times when we're talking about this, we're tasting it neat. 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 Okay. So, <laughs> so for me, I think I'm going to go probably with my highest barrel rating since this is the only the second time we've done a barrel rating. I think this is going to be at an 8.5 for me. Wow. Yeah, wow. I Eight, like it. Five. I that's, like it. That's high. That tramples his uh, Buffalo Trace. <laughs> Buffalo Trace is not on the barrel writing. <laughs> so, um, you know what? I'm going to give it a 7.5 barrel. It is a it is a delicious blend. Um, I, I like it. Joe? So, you understand last week you gave Old Forester a 7, correct? I did. Okay, just yes. checking. yes. You got to be consistent. <laughs> See, I don't have to be consistent because this is my first one. So, um, I'm gonna tell you. You know, you're right. There's a, a slight burn, but it's not that bad. I would probably say somewhere between. I'd probably give it an eight. I think I'd, I'd, I'd give it an eight. All right. There you go. Sweet. We got our first guest that gives a barrel uh, a rating on a uh, on barrel. the barrel scale too. Yeah, awesome. Look at that. So, Joe, do you want to? I know you came to interview and and give back to the community and give people some <laughs> some information, right? There's a lot of people who don't know what you know, yeah, right? Yeah. So how can they get in touch with you? How can they take? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I can I can give you my uh, uh, address, my phone number. Uh, I have an office in Garfield. I uh, built that office about maybe 12 years ago. I've been there for quite some time. Uh, I have a satellite office in Wyckoff, but um, I'm not there routinely. I'm always at the Garfield location. Uh, my um, address there is 152 Harrison Avenue in Garfield. I'm up on the second floor. Uh, the business uh, office number is 973-772-4077. Probably the best way to reach me is by email. It's jconte, it's J-C-O-N-T-E-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You like how original that is, right? Yeah, that's real original. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I, the way I operate is, um, you know, somebody gives me a call, they have some questions, I, I, I try to help whoever I can. Um, I, I feel good about it. I did something good for somebody. Uh, the last thing I want to see is somebody make a bad investment. Uh, and I treat it like it's my money. Like, people come to me to buy a property, I tell them the real deal. Uh, I don't sugarcoat anything. Uh, whereas some people do because they need to make their commission. They need to do make their money. And I understand we all want to make money. But at the same time, I'd rather somebody, I'd rather make money and see somebody really flourish 
and enjoy their home or make money on their investment. The last thing I want to do is guide somebody down the path of peril, of destruction, of yeah. destruction. <laughs> and, and, and I don't want to be associated with that. So, But I appreciate you having me here. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the blood oath. Yes, thank and, you. Uh, oh, just, just so everyone knows, Joe donated the blood oath to, yes. to the podcast for us to taste. Thank you very much. That was a uh, great bottle. No yeah. problem. Anytime. Anytime. But you only give it a 7.5. Exactly. <laughs> He's being honest. We appreciate honesty. Yes, That's good. Exactly. We like, what do they say? Honesty is the best policy, right? Honesty is the best policy. <laughs> but hey, if you do happen to call Joe, let him know that you heard him on the Rad Dad Show. Thank you very much for listening. Be sure to tune into our next episode. If you like what you heard, share with someone you like or maybe dislike. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, iTunes, Podbeam, Google Cast, Pandora, YouTube, your sister's ass, and Spotify. Be sure to smash that subscribe and follow button, too. If you have any questions or comments or want to give us some feedback, you can hit us up at the Rad Dad Show at gmail.com.